Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. be a great show and I almost feel like I'm welcoming royalty. I've got Allison Edgar and she she leads the world of blue chip sales for a long time and then she decided she'd set up her own business to work with entrepreneurs, startups and teams. I think she was inspired. She saw in Forbes 90% of startup businesses fail and that made her decide, you know what? I can flip that statistic and give every business a fighting chance. Since then, she's been crowned the entrepreneur's godmother by a plethora of successful entrepreneurs, including Dragon's Den and Apprentice Winners. I mean, this lady is royal. She has attended the Queen's Royal Garden Party at Buckingham Palace. She's been named one of the UK's top 10 business advisors and regularly consults with Downing Street to give her opinions on the business landscape. Based on her work with entrepreneurs, she now works with huge conglomerates such as Sky and the Discovery Channel and teaches their teams to think intrapreneurially, which encourages growth mindsets, out-of-the-box thinking, and ultimately leads to an increase in sales. She has got a book, Secrets of Successful Sales. It's an international bestseller, and it's stocked in the top 10 business books in W.H. Smith. And she's been featured in the 2019 top business books written by women. Allison, I'm so honored to have you on my show. Oh, Lee, literally, thank you so much for having me. Like, when you go and you, you, you sort of list those things, a bit like you, Lee, we just kind of carry on, don't we? We do our day-to-day, but when somebody highlights what you've done, it's quite overwhelming, isn't it? You think, oh, I've done all those things. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I first met you, you told me your story about how, how you got into and why you got into changing your career. Everybody loves a good story. Will you share your story with everyone? Yeah, so I've, I've, I've got a little cherry to add on to the top of the story as well. Oh, I love that. that. In a second. So um, I actually left school at 16 um, and I'm dyslexic, so I really, really struggled. I, I was bright, but I couldn't work out why I couldn't retain information, why I, I couldn't pass exams. Um, and it, it was only in, in later years that I was diagnosed dyslexic. But I think what I learned at a really early age was focus on your strengths. So, you know, I love people, genuinely love people. I love interacting with people. So I moved into hospitality and I ended up, I, I started as a receptionist because I thought it was really easily. I thought that you just gave out keys. I thought that's all the job was. Um, but I got a great grounding in business because Again, this is going to give another clue to my age, but at that time there was no computer. So every penny that would come through the hotel, I had to put through a manual book and balance the book. So it gave me a real understanding on how business worked. I then went on to work for Radisson in Sydney, Australia. I worked for Southern Suns in um, Cape Town, South Africa. I worked in the Channel Islands, so I found an industry that really, really suited me because it was all people-based. And then I came back to Scotland, which is where I'm from originally, and um, went back into hospitality again, working shifts. And 
I never thought I would leave. And then I met my husband and he's a software developer. So he worked Monday to Friday, nine to five. So I had to kind of make a choice, hospitality or him. And I ended up, our, our big telecom in the, the UK is BT, British Telecom. And I, I ended up getting a job in one of their first call centres in Scotland. And it was outbound. So direct mail, direct response. And that's kind of how I moved into sales. And um, I just I just turned out to be good at it. And it, I think it was coming from hospitality because a lot of salespeople sell too soon, whereas I was a great listener and I really understood the customers. And I think that was a real advantage. And, and that then started the journey into sales. And I worked for uh, Dow Egbert's The Coffee Company and Yale, like Yellow Book. Um, and I just, I kept winning the prizes. I kept being the top performer. And I did that for years. So I just had found something that I really enjoyed. And I think, again, you know, coming back to the psychology behind it, I think to really get to your maximum performance level, you have to be loving what you're doing. It's really important. I couldn't agree any more with that. I mean, it's it's what motivates you. It's what gets you up with a smile on your face every morning. Yeah, and I think then what what happened was I could see I'd been obviously working with a lot of small businesses, um, selling advertising space and marketing. And what I, I really, you know, coming back to the Forbes statistic, I realized that they didn't know how to sell. So they were really passionate about their florist business or their grocery store or, you know, their service industry, their coaching business, but they didn't know how to actually sell properly following process. And that was the calling for me to then give up the blue chip and start myself. And, you know, those things that you said, you know, the journey, literally, it's been fast as well, Lee. Like, I I incorporated the business. So I I went sole trader to start with. And again, a top tip for anybody that's listening that's thinking about starting a business is try and have an income uh, as well as the business because it takes a while to get revenue to come through. And if you're really struggling for cash and that's the only income, it puts a lot of pressure on yourself. So try and have different revenue streams. Um, And then I just sort of moved in from there and Again, quite a few high-profile clients, but it has been amazing, you know, the Queen's Garden Party and working with the government and things. But I'm going to tell you the icing on the cake. Now, this, when we spoke pre-show, it was a few weeks ago, wasn't it? And I told you I had a huge announcement, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Well, in the UK, the Queen, every year, does two honours lists so you get the new year honour list which comes out on the 1st of January and then the birthday honour list for the Queen's birthday and every year she gives honours so um, you get the system is like you'll have heard of a lord or a knight or a sir or a dame and then the next sort of level is a CBE and an OBE so again it's for people who who have gone above and beyond. And I have been given by the Queen of the UK an honour called an MBE, which means I'm an, a member of the British Empire. So it's 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 huge. I get to go to Buckingham Palace and actually meet the Queen and she gives me the honorary medal. So it just shows you, you know, 
you know, coming from being a 16-year-old who left school with no qualifications, living in a council house, you know, again, we didn't own a house. It was a high-rise flat that you can achieve things if you do work hard and put your mind to it. Well, that is such exciting news. I told you I felt like I was welcoming royalty. <laughs> I knew it before you even told me. But that that is so exciting. And, you know, so many of us do struggle. And to think about dyslexia here in the States, ADHD is something that uh, three out of five people think they have, whether they've been diagnosed or not. Um, so we all face that struggle. And, and, and I'm so happy to hear people like you. Okay, I've got to figure this out. I've got, yeah, to, I've got to find something that I like doing, that I can do well, and I can make things happen. Because sales is one of the hardest things, I think, for a lot of people to do. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the, one of my sort of mantras, and I think this really helps people to overcome the fear of sales. So again, the you know, it's not really sales that they're frightened of; it's rejection. You know, we don't like to be rejected. We really like um, the fact that you know we can carry on and and go through life without people rejecting us. We like to be liked, don't we? So I think it's really important that. Um, it's not the sales that people are frightened of, it's the rejection. And one of the things that I, that the mantra is, I genuinely believe, Lee, I genuinely, in my heart of hearts, believe when it's delivered correctly, sales and customer service is exactly the same thing. And again, people like to give good service, don't they? I mean, I can't see that anybody goes in and they're working in any business or any retail store and they go, right, I'm going to give bad service today. They don't, and that's where... If you really ask good questions and get to know your customers and ask them what and find out what they need, then you just deliver what they need. And if you can't deliver it, then don't sell it because it will just come and, and it will bite you on the backside. So, you know, that's where um, I think if you go into it with that mindset that you're delivering a service, it helps your confidence. And, and what I believe is that if you're not confident in you, other people will not be confident in you either. So, you know, if you're really passionate about what you do, it's it's really your job to be confident to deliver it. Well, let's talk about how sales is like climbing a mountain. Talk to me about that. So it's interesting because if you look at... Um, <laughs> I've just actually climbed a mountain, Lee, for my first time. And again, I'm 52 now, right? And up until 51, I had never done any exercise. And one of the things, it's the second highest mountain in the UK. It's called Mount Snowdon. And I think if you look at a mountain, it, it, looks, it, look, it looks impossible to climb. But I think, again, like sales and running a business, it's just about putting one foot in front of the other. And if you just concentrate on looking, you know, one foot in front of the other, one step in front of the other, one day at a time, one customer at a time, one phone call at a time, and, and having an aim, like you don't go to climb a mountain and think I'm not going to get to the top and it's the same ethos with sales you don't go and think oh you know I'm not going to hit my target you, you you focus on that but you focus on one foot in front of the other to get to the top does that make sense it does make sense because what I hear you say is that you have to keep your focus you have to know where you're going and you have to know what your goals are and you know the bottom line is if you can't sell your business is going to really suffer from that. 
And I think that's what scares people. Yeah, I mean, it's even, I think it's even scarier than that, Lee, because if you don't sell, you don't have a business. Uh, you know, a lot of people have got great ideas. Like, I want to be a, a this, you know, I want to be a life coach. I want to be a florist. I want to be a social media manager. I want to, and they've got great ideas, but they, they, if they can't monetize it, they can't feed their family. And again, coming back to the psychology side of things, you know, if it's Maslow's, I mean, a lot of the stuff is just Maslow's and you do need the, you know, some form of income to, to climb that ladder to get the things that you want in your life. Well, you're right. And, you know, one, one of the things that I have enjoyed when I've looked at your online at what you offer is that you do, you know, you base it a lot on psychology, but you mix in a lot of your personal experience. Yeah, I do. And I think it's so, you know, when, when I wrote the book, so Secrets of Successful Sales is the book, and I wrote that in 2018. And, and Lee, you know, I didn't come from, like, I had to get all the stuff in my head and unpick it. And again, as a dyslexic, that's hard because you're going off track and you're just, it's hard to focus. So I had to work out, like, what is the methodology? How can I get this methodology out? And the reason I wrote the book was um, previously in the UK, there used to be funding to help me work with businesses. So a small business would match funds, the government paid half, the client would pay half, and everybody was a winner. And when the government stopped the funding, the people that needed me most were the startups and the micro businesses. So the ones that really were not cash rich. And how can I help them if they're not cash rich? Well, I had to write the book. And, you know, you talk about ADHD. I don't know if I've got ADHD or not, but I'm very easily distracted. And, and actually having to work and get that out was really important. So I think it's the, the, it comes into four pillars. So pillar one is behaviours. So that really is the psychology. People buy people and they buy people like them. So it's the salesperson's job to adapt their behaviour. The next part is process. Now, this is the part that people don't know, that sales is like manufacturing. You know, if you follow the process, you'll come out with a sale. And if you look at manufacturing, you know, sometimes things do not go through quality control. They don't pass. And that's like sales. You will not sell to everyone. But if you follow the process, you will sell to more. Then the third pillar is strategy. You know, people haven't worked out who their ideal clients are. And they try and sell to everyone. And that's not going to work. So they need to have a strong strategy. But the one part especially in the small business arena that I see is the thing that holds them back. And as I mentioned before, it's confidence. And the reason they don't have confidence is they don't understand their behaviours of the customers and they can't adapt. They have no clue on the process and they don't have a strong strategy because if you've got the other three components, actually confidence comes. So I think it's having that structure to sales and so many people don't have the structure and that's what causes them to be pushy and especially if they're you know money short the the more short of money they are the pushier they become and the worse the results come it's and they forget that they're delivering a customer service they're just trying to bring in cash and that's not how you sell well, I agree with you, and, and I know I own a business, the Brain Performance Center, and I have tried to bring in things that 
I really think would help my clients, like different supplement lines or essential essential living oils, but I'm not a good salesperson. And so, you know, half the time I end up just giving it away to them, which they really (laughs) appreciate, but it doesn't do a whole lot for my revenue line. So talk to me about that process, because I personally know I could benefit yeah, so it's all about questions, Lee, right? So this is where, again, another thing, if you think about think about a three-year-old child, so think about the, the child development, so a two-year-old or a three-year-old, they start to talk, right? And when they start to talk, without being taught, they'll say, why? I'm going to the shops, why? Because we need milk, why? Because we drank it all, why? And they're, they're born to ask open questions, who, what, why, where, when, how? Who, what, why, where, when, how? And we we don't teach our children that. They, they learn it. Then they become inquisitive and they gain more knowledge at that time in such a short space of time than they, ha- they do for the rest of their lives. And again, I've got a bit of a bugbear with education because in the UK... The, the elementary classes are, are like, there's like 30 children in there with, you know, one teacher, maybe one teaching assistant. And, and, and we're, it's quashed. It's, our, our open questions are quashed because if 30 kids all go, who, what, why, where, when, how, who, what, what. So we're taught to be polite. Right? Everybody sit down and then you ask, you, you be polite and ask closed questions. Can I please may I do that, can I, will I, would you like me to? And all those things close our brain because we get a yes or a no answer. And that's the worst thing that we can do in sales. Do you want to buy my oils? No, I don't. You know, do you do you want to have a complimentary, you know, an extra session? No, I don't. So again, it's really retraining our brain to think like two-year-olds. So when someone comes in and you're doing that initial consultation, you know, you, you would automatically be asking them good open questions. So, you know, what brought you here? And what's the symptoms? And why is that? And how does it manifest? What have you tried before? And how have you supplemented your... Um, your nutrition how do you supplement that to help you sleep to help your balance and what have you done about this and how have you done that okay and you've tried this and what was the effect and what did that do so it's just to having a great conversation and if they say oh no I've not tried any supplements or I've tried supplements and they didn't work or I've tried oils you know how how well do you sleep at night on a scale of one to five if one means that you're asleep that you're an insomniac and five means you sleep like a brick Oh, I'm a three. Okay, so what oils have you used previously? No, I've not used any oils. How much do you know about the benefits of lavender? No, I don't really know much about lavender. Okay, I know loads. How much do you want to know about the benefits of lavender? I'd love to know because it's really affecting, you know, my life outside. Okay, so my suggestion is that you put two drops of the lavender oil on your pillow before you go to sleep, see how you get on, and then we'll review that when we come back again. So can you see from that, Lee, it's just a conversation. And the lavender oil. You know, and and I think what's important is the timing of that conversation that because when I'm setting up, I mean, I I am so passionate about what I do with neurotherapy and psychotherapy. And that is where my passion lies. But that's where I kind of go into it with tunnel vision. So I think if I in the beginning 
if I open my own eyes and th think about that, then I think that at least I've opened that door if I need to go through it in another time. I can. Mm. Yeah. So that, I mean, and, and they might not financially have the money to buy the oil or the supplements at that time, but by not offering them that and not being confident, you're doing them a disservice because if you know that they need that supplement to help them sleep, which will help the neuro side, or if you know that actually their diet is full of fast food junk and they really need to do a diet change and have a supplement so that they can be healthier or fitter or, you know, all these things complement what you do. And it's, it's having that conversation at the start because what you would recommend is you would recommend the complete package. And then if they say, oh, actually, I'll get the supplements the next time, then it, you know, it just picks up from there. So it's a, it's a down sell. It's a negotiation, really, Lee. You're exactly right. And I think that part of me struggles with wanting to validate the neurotherapy and the psychotherapy I do. Maybe I'm letting a little bit of ego get in the door. <laughs> Maybe I need to back that out. Yeah, and I think, you know, and the thing with it is if they don't need it, don't sell it, right? So if you know that, you know, they're sleeping like a brick, they're at number five on the scale of sleep, well, they don't need lavender oil if they can sleep. So you wouldn't you wouldn't recommend that. But if, say, they're, like, struggling to uh, digest and you, actually you know that one of the oils is, will really help them with their digestion, you know, it, it, you're just giving them the solution to help them. It's a help rather than a pushy sale whereas a lot of people will go oh yeah and you need this and you need that and you need that and the customer hasn't bought in they don't know why they need it you're just trying to sell to them and that they, people are, are not you know they're not naive to that they don't want to be sold to they, they love to get great customer service well you're right about that and I think of myself when I'm when I go in and I'm pushed to buy that immediately I'm done I'm done most times I'll turn around and walk out of the store because now I feel like I'm on the defense and that's not a good feeling. No, it's horrible. And I think that's what gives sales a bad name. But if you look again, I, I, I'm not quite sure how it works. And I, I love the U.S., by the way. So I think you actually are very good at service. I love coming across, obviously not at the moment, but um, I love I love the upbeat, the the. I just love the energy of the U.S. But one of the things that I find annoying is when people come up and say, can I help you? Because that's, again, a close question. Whereas if you walk into the store and somebody says, oh, welcome to the store, Lee. It's great to have you in. What brought you here today? What was the purpose of your visit? Well, even if it's you're in getting out of the rain, the, the person that you're engaging with knows why you're there. But if they say, oh, actually, I was having a browse because it's my uh, sister's birthday and I was looking for a gift. Oh, OK. So, you know, what kind of things does your sister like? How old is she? What have you got her before? You know, let's have a leap. What were you thinking about? And really start to engage that who, what, why, where, when, how, who, what, why, where, when, how. And then you'll get information and then you can help gets you know sell something in that store it, it just literally is all down to open questions well and i think i know when you start talking well who well why well where well, she, wow she really cares she's really interested yes yeah yes yeah and i think that it's to me that's the golden key the golden key and 
I mean, another one of the sort of the mantras I'll, I'll say to people, is, and this is where the psychology really comes in, is how people want to be treated. So I'll, if I'm doing a live event, I'll sort of say, right, put your hand up. If you were brought up to treat other people how you want to be treated, if your parent or guardian says, treat other people the way that you want to be treated, put up your hand, pretty much everyone puts up their hand. And I go, okay, so this is what I want you to change. Do not treat other people how you want to be treated. Treat them how they want to be treated. And that's, again, building that bond. You know, if somebody is not making eye contact with you, if somebody is more introverted and you go bouncing into their face, then that's not building that either. But if somebody's got open body language, no, you know, they're smiling at you, making contact, that's where you know that you can really, you know, really serve that person and make the sale. Well, you've worked with companies of all different sizes and different types of products. And what's been your biggest challenge? Um, I struggle, and again, coming back to the psychology. So I work on DISC, D-I-S-C, based on William, Mar uh, William Moulton Marsden studies. And I am a full-on extrovert. So I'm a task and relationship-focused extrovert. I'm a yellow-red. I'm an orange and I sometimes work in the fintech sector or the financial um, accountancy sector. And I always find that's quite a challenge because they are very analytical. And as we know from the dyslexia, the analytical stuff is one of the things <laughs> that I struggle with. So, uh, but then I know, I'm aware. So when I give details or if I, if I give data I've got to know the source and I've got to be prepared for it again you know already my um, vocabulary is a little bit slower I know that uh, people will want me to use more um, up-to-date words you know some more detailed words well it sounds like what you're saying is you know your audience very well and you figure out how to play to that audience. And that goes back to what you're saying is don't treat them how you want to be treated. Treat them how they want to be treated. And if they want to talk a different language, then you're prepared to talk that language. And I yeah, notice with my clients, sure. sometimes, you know, the negative words that they use. And if I can just create an awareness and say, let's try to replace some negative words. It's so much fun if you Google positive words, the list that you will come up with. And it to me, it is so much fun every day to try to take three of those words and put them into my daily life. So when we come back from break, we will carry on and talk a little bit more about takeaways that you give your clients. We'll be back after these messages. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author, and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding 
and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelove live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the Toginet Radio Network. It's Marching While visiting a ranch in Colorado, I met a goat named Lucky. Domesticated goats are sometimes kept as pets, similar to a dog or cat. When Abraham Lincoln was president, his sons kept two goats in the White House with them. There are about 450 million goats in the world. Male goats are called bucks, and female goats are called does. Of course, the young goats are kids. Sometimes racehorses are given a goat friend, so they won't be lonely in the stall. The phrase, getting someone's goat, comes from the unsportsmanlike practice of stealing the competition's goat to unsettle the horse before the race. Goats need a lot of room to roam so they don't feel confined. What's the fear of being penned in? Clithrophobia. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back, and I've got Allison Edgar, who is not only is she royal, she's a sassy brat, Brit. So we're having a lot of fun, and, and I think that what I noticed on her website is, is that when she does seminars, whatever she does, she tries to give some actionable skills and some takeaways that you can take with you and implement. And to me, that's where the value is. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I think it's really important. So if I'm working with, uh, like doing a keynote for things like the Discovery Channel or Sky or Equifax, or I was due to speak at the European Commission in Belgium, which was cancelled for obvious reasons, that there's something that people can take away in action straight away because... Otherwise, sometimes it gets quite boring, doesn't it? I mean, I know, I don't know about you, but I've been to seminars, a keynote, and it's like, oh, I'm not getting much from this. And like a lot of the, um, it's really interesting. Sometimes I'm on the lineup with sports people. And I think I understand more about sports now over the last two years than I did before. And, you know, they'll talk about their sporting journey. But if you can't relate to a sporting journey, then sometimes the message gets missed. So to me, you know, the, one of the biggest takeaways, and again, based on a lot of the stuff that Carol Dweck, I mean, I'm a huge fan. There's a lot of, you know, you call me the sassy Brit. Uh, there's a lot, I've got a lot of fan club for some of the, the sassy US women. So, you know, I'm not saying that Carol Dweck's particularly sassy, but I love the, the fixed and growth mindset. I adore Brene Brown. I mean, the vulnerability and shame stuff. I mean, you know, there's a lot of strong women that are rocking that space. So to me, one of the things, you know, I talk about mindset and we talk about the difference between fixed and growth, because I do feel that, um, when you explain the fixed mindset, it's the fixed mindset that really holds us back, doesn't it? You know, the, the oh, I can't do this, and oh, I've made a mistake, and I'm taking this feedback personally, and and a lot. And again, it comes back to the psychology. And um, I've, during lockdown, I've been reading the Chimp Paradox by um, Steve Peters, and he goes into again a lot more of the brain things, which is 
obviously your area, Lee, but it's, um, I find that really interesting. So I think getting people to, again, similar to what you're saying, really think about how they position their words, you know, and, and review, maybe even have their thoughts in a journal and, and review what those thoughts are. And one of my big things is I like people to concentrate on things they think they can't do. And again, it's quite controversial because it's like a I can mentality, but I think it's a great starting place to think I can't do that. So for me, I didn't think I could climb a mountain, never in a month of Sundays. But when I think I can't do it, it's it's a great place to start your goals from. And then also, well, why do you want to climb that mountain? Because when you get halfway up, it's going to be really, really tough and you're going to want to just go back down again. But it's that why you want to do it that keeps you going. And I think it's really getting people to focus on that. So, you know, that's from the sort of psychology and the mindset. And we touched sort of obviously in the first half about the knowing the behaviours, the task, the relationship, the introvert, the extrovert. And when we do that visually, you know, we, we even get people to get a pad and a pen out and draw it. And, and explain the difference between the diagonal. So if it's a red behaviour, the um, task-focused extrovert, if you're a green behaviour, which is the introvert uh, relationship, you know, the, the green behaviours are quite slow and quite considered, and the reds are really fast and they want everything now. And again, that diagonal really doesn't gel. And the same with the yellow behaviour, which is the extrovert relationship. You know, that's the, I want to lead the Disney parade. Everything's brilliant. And then you've got the introvert behaviour uh, task focus, the blues. And they need all the facts, all the figures. And it's those diagonals. And when they see that visually, sometimes, again, we'll do it in the, in the old worldly. We would do it as a workshop and get them really to interact. And that's, again, another strong takeaway from there. Um, and then another one of the, the takeaways, people love this one, is around strategy. And, and it's not just strategy for sales, but it's life strategy. Because if I had a dollar... For everybody that says, I don't have time to do that. Time, time, time is the biggest thief. And again, I find a lot of the theories out there. So again, if you look at the, the Eisenhower theory, you know, the, the stuff that uh, Stephen Covey did with the urgent, important, not important, not urgent, it's quite confusing. So I sort of translated that into... Alison Edgar's big balls. So I talk about basketballs, tennis balls and ping pong balls. And for example, let's say, um, let's say buying um, a, a birthday present, right? So say somebody's birthday is on the 1st of November. Well, actually in, in August, that's a ping pong ball. And then in um, October, it's a tennis ball. And then on the 31st of October, it's a basketball and again, like you can't juggle a lot of basketballs. And, and if you get a basketball in the face, it's really sore. So we use tools like Trello. I love Trello, but rather than a linear to-do list, because a, a linear to-do list, you know, people do the things they like and they ignore the other things. And then again, the big tasks creep up on your life. And that's again, where it leads to stress. And if you look, the you know, the other thing I do, because if I do this in organisations is, People don't always get on, and usually 
it's to do with the disparity of the ball. So say, for example, in fact, this came up in conversation with one of my clients this week. She craved a one-to-one with her manager, right? She was desperate to have this um, one-to-one and really express what she wanted to do with her career development. And that was her basketball. She was desperate for this. And she had it booked in in her diary and the manager treated it as a ping pong ball and he just cancelled the appointment. And that's, she fell out and that's where she started looking for another job. And so again, the disparity of the balls in all relationships lead to fallouts and lead to stress. So if you if you put your balls in the right order and you manage them correctly, then it leads to a great life. Well, and I think, it, you know, sometimes we have to share some of our balls with other people because yeah. that he canceled that appointment. He had no idea how important that was to her or how much. No. How, I mean, and I see that with my clients most of the time when they come in to a situation with unrealistic expectations, they, they leave frustrated, disappointed, mad at themselves, irritable grumpy because they they concoct these expectations in their own head they don't share them they don't vet them they don't validate them and then they don't understand why weren't they met mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. no i agree and i think again it's and in organizations i do get them to talk balls like oh, this is my basketball like the payroll payroll so say for example the timesheets have to go to the paymaster by a certain day and a certain time. And if one department haven't done that, then that, that department can miss payroll and then we don't get paid. And getting paid is like pretty much people's basketball. But the, the, the manager may have had a malfunction on a machine and had to fix that and that was his basketball. So again, I think when you start to talk about it and you organise your to-do list like for example say you've got an appointment for a client and it's booked in your diary that's your basketball because that's your revenue for your business and they don't turn up because they forgot or they're late or they're whatever they're treating your time as a ping pong ball and that's where again if you can have this conversation and talk about actually let me explain these balls this is how i feel it's a great way to open open up a difficult conversation what's well, a fun way to open up a conversation too because it's almost like light when when you're talking i visualize these little ping pong balls going back and forth across the table and then the tennis balls and then the basketball wow yeah and do you know and this is where again it's really interesting because I obviously, you know, I've seen Stephen Covey's Big Rocks in the Jar and, you know, like I've seen all this stuff, but I can't, I couldn't in my head relate it into something that I could understand. So for me, and I think that's where the dyslexia comes in, like we do things differently. I try and make things as understandable as I can. And that's where the takeaways, you know, when I talk about that, it can transform different organisations because they communicate better and that's what the takeaway is. And again, they can also see um, like why, you know, looking at fixed and growth mindset, looking at people in organisations, we talked about entrepreneurship. So the way that I deliver that is around getting people to think like an entrepreneur. So entrepreneurs 
pretty much have got growth mindset. They love it when things go wrong. They love it when they fail because they just try harder. They bounce back and they take the learning. Whereas a lot of people with fixed mindset, they don't. They criticize themselves. It's all, it's all my fault. Shouldn't have done that. Or it's their fault. Someone else's fault this is happening. And, you know, again, one of the things I'm a firm believer is choice. You know, we have choice of what we do and we can only really concentrate on the things that we can control, not the things we can. But so many people focus on the things that are out of their control and that then feeds the fixed mindset. You know, you bring up a very good point. I think it's interesting. Research shows that we have three times more positive events on a daily basis than we do negative. But the brain pays attention to the negative. You know, and I've caught myself. You have one bad thing happen. Somebody cuts you off and won't let you go through. And at the end of the day, instead of remembering the great email that you got that acknowledged your extra effort or how kind somebody was to you or just what a beautiful day it was. You remember the one negative. That person cut me off. So Mm. I work a lot with people on think about what you pay attention to and how do you pay attention to it. Yeah, and I think knowing why you're, you're why that happens, because obviously your brain's trying to protect you. So it goes back to the cavemen, you know, the fight, fight or freeze, and and it's trying to protect you. So you're replaying it and you're replaying it, and, and you know, I'm a safe, I'm a safe. You know, cut me up, but I'm a safe. And again, I think that's in Steve Peters in the book, The Chimp Paradox, explains it really well. You know, it's okay, listen to the chimp because he's going to be telling you that, but then listen, acknowledge it, park it and then move on. And I think that it's easier said than done, but, you know, how do you get good at anything? Look at sport. How do you become a top performer at sport? You practice. And I think, again, if anybody's listening to this and they think, well, actually, that is me, you're not going to be brilliant at it overnight, just like you didn't learn to drive in one lesson or just like you didn't, you know, learn to play baseball in one one game you've got to keep practicing it and I think that's where again you know looking at what you do Lee it feeds into exactly the psychology stuff that you you do well and, and people that know that they have a lot of people say I do I have a lot of negative thoughts and, and I know where they come from you know it's all or nothing or everything's a catastrophe okay if you know that then you have to start to catch those little ants, those automatic negative thoughts, because they're so fast and furious. If you're not trying to catch them, you won't even know they're there. All of a sudden, you're just mad or sad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's That's where choice comes in, though, Lee, isn't it? If you know that you're having those negative thoughts, I'm having a negative thought, you have to have a word with yourself and say, (laughs) I know I'm having that negative thought. I've got a choice here. I can keep replaying this or I can park it, write it in a journal. That man cut me up, park, done. And now I can move on with my positive. Again, choice is a, a huge thing that we're blessed with. And But, we're, you know, in my new book, so I've got a new book coming out and I talk about the me thing or the we thing. And that's not the Scottish we thing as in small. That's the us thing. So, you know, it's about my TEDx is called the art of getting what you want and how do you get what you want well a high percentage of getting what you want is having the conversation with your brain it is really helping you overcome 
the objections that your brain is giving you to get what you want. And then it's only when you know what you want, you know why you want it, and you know, you're prepared to go out there and get it, you have to work out, look, so say it's run a marathon. That's a me thing. That's all mental. That's a mental strength and obviously physical, but you can practice that. Whereas if it's negotiating with your realtor to get um, money off a house, like dollars off a house, that's a we thing. That's a two-person or a group thing. And that's where, you know, you, you need to be prepared to negotiate on that. But the negotiation, I think, you know, you're still negotiating with your head. You know, putting your trainers on on the day where it's pouring of rain, that's a negotiation with your head. And that's, you know, I think a lot of negotiation goes on is is in the brain. Because when you think about how the brain processes information, every second the brain is capable of taking in 11 million bits of data. The most that you can take in on a conscious level is between 40 and 126. Well, we don't even have to do the math. We know where all the rest of that goes. It goes to the subconscious. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's that subconscious. And, you know, you'll get that that worry going and you'll think about, oh, and you'll slap that right down. I can't think about that right now. You know, but then it just keeps spinning. It'll come right back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you can start talking to the brain, then you're working more on the conscious level. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important because if you look at, you know, so many people self-sabotage, you know, even like with weight loss or with alcohol or anything like that. And again, I believe that feeds into the fixed mindset as well, where we go, ah, you know what, I was on this diet, I lost a few pounds, but, uh, you know, I, I, I ate a donut, oh, I might as well just jump off that diet again or whatever it is. And I think that, again, that is choice that, you, you know, you... We've all had the donut days, right? We've all had the days where we think, you know, I really should not have had that. But you can carry that on to the next day and then have more donuts. Or you can say, right, I've done that. Hey, that's one more, one less donut than I had, you know, two years ago. And and take the positive from that and then not self-sabotage. But I I believe that the self-sabotage is a choice. It's that negotiation with our brain. I think you're right. It is a choice. And that sometimes is hard for us to to do because then we have to own it. If we acknowledge mm. that's the choice that I'm making, that means I have to own that. And maybe I'm not ready to do that. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think that's, again, comes back into that fixed mindset because, you you know, you'll blame somebody else. Oh, that was John's fault because he bought those donuts. Well, John didn't actually sit there and feed it into your face. You made that choice to eat that donut, you know, and you can't blame John for buying it. So again, I I just think we shouldn't blame ourselves. We shouldn't be blaming. We just do it. And if we do it and then we go, right, you know what? I've done that. That happened. Let's move on. What have I learned from that? Don't send John to the store to buy the groceries because he's going to come back with the donuts. So, you know, that kind of thing. It's what did we learn? I'm a firm believer in everything we do. What have we learned? And I love it. Like, even with my team. So my team are all fairly young. And I want them to make mistakes. I encourage mistake making. Like, 
you know, maybe they send out a grammar error and an email and somebody comes back and goes, oh, you know, are you stupid? You can't spell or whatever. Or something happens and they'll be like, oh, Alison, this happened and I'm really worried, worried about my job. And I'm like, why are you worrying about your job? Oh, I made this mistake. You know, you might sack me. And I'm like, I love the mistakes. You know, just what, what have we learned? I think the phrase, and again, the takeaway is making mistakes is brilliant. What have we learned? What are we going to do differently? And what's our choice? Well, you know, it's interesting because I hear people when they talk about choice, they also talk about destiny. Well, it's my destiny. Almost like it's predetermined. And I think destiny is a matter of choices, not chance. Well, you know, it's interesting because if that was my destiny, you know, I left school at 16. I come from a high-rise council flat. My destiny was probably to be a teen parent by the time I was 17, Lee. So I, I think, you know, again, it comes back to choice that you make your own decisions on a daily basis. And, you know, if you make a wrong choice, then welcome the fact you've made a wrong choice. What have you learned and what can you do differently? But again, I'm a real firm believer in having goals that I'm not a huge believer in manifestation and abundance. I believe that you need a goal, you need a strategy and you make your choice every day to try and get to that you know um yes maybe the universe provides because sometimes you're there's fate in your direction but i don't believe that my destiny to you know work with the government to have an honor from the queen to have traveled the world uh, i believe i created that destiny for myself rather than somebody giving me that destiny well and i agree and i think that you know life doesn't just happen Life is defined by the choices that we make. And sometimes we have to stop and think about that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, completely. And, you know, I think it's easy to make the wrong choice. I think it is easy, you know, in everything, in every way, you know, if we look at, you know, relationship choices, job choices, healthy lifestyle choices, alcohol choices, you know, we have a choice every single day. And I think it is the sort of sliding doors moment that, you know, sometimes you, you go down another path and you think, oh, what happens if I'd have done that? But again, you can't live with that regret. You know, if, if somebody is in a relationship and the relationship isn't working and there is no coming back from it, they've tried their best, then, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's making, drawing the line and then taking the next path. Well, you know, I think you've said it very well. It's it, part of it's understanding the role that choices play in defining our life and what we choose to learn and how we choose to develop. That's those are additional choices. Yeah, definitely. But I do think, you know, for me, the the uh, I didn't know I was going to get an owner. These are one of these things that you can't. Um, influence if that makes sense because somebody applies for you so one of my team as it turned out applied for this owner three years ago Lee so this isn't like it's three it's a, a big long process and I couldn't have influenced whether I got it or not but the fact that I'd done great things and I'd been confident I'd helped people um, I'd had a strategy on who I helped, like things like the Dragon's Den winners and the Apprentice winners. That was kind of a sales strategy because I knew they were high profile and that raises my profile. But if I hadn't been good at what I did, I would never have been able to work with them, if that makes sense. So again, I think it's just doing your best. to. And, and we talked about this earlier. 
that when I work with, with young children, so kindergarten children, you know, primary school children, I try and simplify it to get them to understand that everybody has a thing, right? Everybody has something that they are good at. And it, it like for me, it's people. I know it's people. For other people, like the accountants, it's numbers. For some, you know, I talk about David Beckham. Like, so I, 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 again, David Beckham was a brilliant footballer. But I think David Beckham is also a great dad. And it's it's concentrating on the things that you're good at. You know, like even with young young kids now, social media, Instagram, YouTube, that's a job now. Like, that is a job. So if you're really good at that, that can be your job. But everybody has to have that thing that really makes them passionate and sets them on fire. And I think that kind of leads in from where we started is really just, just what is that passion that gets you up in the morning? Because it's that passion that I think sees you through your life. Well, I think you're right. And I think what sometimes we think our passion has to be grand. It's got to be this great things. But if it, if your passion is simply baking the best bread and sharing that at, what, through a bakery, you don't need to, ha- to own 20 bakeries. You know, and I think that in America, we like to think big. And I think that, you know, I personally have gotten a couple of takeaways from our, our conversation. And, and one in particular is that the choices that we make today really do impact our life tomorrow. And that's something, yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. I share I share your opinion on choices, but that really hit me hard. And I know that on your website, you, have, you just started a YouTube channel. Is that correct this year? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 In the in the last couple of yeah. minutes, tell tell our our audience because uh, I believe they can get tips and tricks and all kinds of yeah, things from that there's YouTube. There's loads on there. So if they subscribe to the YouTube channel, it's Alison Edgar MBE. Um, also AlisonEdgar.com and um, TheEntrepreneursGodmother.com. So I'm quite easy to find. It's Alison with one L, Edgar E D G A R. Um, and again, the book is Secrets of Successful Sales. It's available on Amazon in Canada and also Amazon uh, USA. That's wonderful. Well, I know I can't wait to watch some of those weekly videos because, you know, I think we all need something that we look. I think people need three things, something to do, something to love and something to look forward to. And just something as simple as a weekly video that we know we're going to enjoy that maybe we'll giggle about, That's I find that to be a huge joy. So, Allison, I can't thank you enough. I'm so excited to have spent time with you, and I'm so proud of you and all of your accomplishments. That's just, and to think, 16 years old, dyslexia, didn't think that you could learn how to, to do much and what what you accomplished with your life. That's amazing. Oh, thank you, Lee. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure. Again, Allison Edgar, Allison with one L. Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, 
visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, 